Out of all of Cialdini's principles of influence, I think probably the least well understood and least likely used is commitment and consistency. I think people instinctively get the appeal to authority. I think people instinctively get FOMO, the fear of scarcity. But when it comes to using people's tendency to stay true to something they've committed to, we just don't think about trying it as often as we should be. So I'm dedicating this episode to studying a few examples from Robert Cialdini. The first one is from the Psychology Podcast again. There's a lot of research on this, but let me give you an example uh, that has worked very well for an acquaintance of mine who says that he was having trouble getting jobs. He would get into these job interviews and they wouldn't go especially well. Uh, But then he hit upon something that has gotten him three better jobs in a row, right? That he says at the start of an interview where he's in a room with an evaluator, sometimes a team of evaluators. And he always would say what we're trained to say, thank you for inviting me here. I, um, I very much want to uh, answer all of your questions. And then he says, but before we begin, I wonder if you could answer a question for me why did you invite me here today? What was it about my resume, about my background and experience that made you think I was a good candidate for the job? And he said, you will hear these people committing themselves to your strengths and your candidacy out loud, actively, voluntarily, right? And he said, You you now experience that not only have you heard the things that they consider the strongest elements that of your case, then you can embellish on those and zero in on those, but they've made a, a commitment to you. And he says three better jobs in a row. Okay, so that commitment and consistency. So that's an immediately practical tip, no matter which side of the interviewing table you're on. I think we're so used to people not committing or flaking that we actually forget how deep a desire it is for people to want to be consistent to something that people expect of them or that they've proclaimed to be previously, even if they don't actually fit that criteria at all. This next example is from his appearance on the Freakonomics podcast. It starts with a weird political angle, which I don't quite love, but I think it resonates with some people here. The sixth lever you discuss is called commitment and consistency. Now, when I see that, for some reason, my mind turns to politics. So let me ask you this. Donald Trump acquired what strikes me as a type and magnitude of influence that is perhaps without precedent, at least in our lifetime. What did he do so differently and well? Well, if you remember in his various rallies, he would say, turn the cameras around. Look at this audience. He was so savvy about the rule of social proof when people didn't know him very well. And now I'm going to give you a a reason that is going to, I think, reveal my political (laughs) views on this. Why have people stayed with Donald Trump over all these times where there are consequential missteps? There's an old literature in persuasion science and cognitive dissonance. It says if people have made a choice that resulted in a negative consequence, the more negative the consequence, 
the less likely they are to believe it was a mistake. So what you just described in economic terms would be usually called the sunk cost fallacy. How well does your version of that and the economist's version of that intersect? It does intersect because of the principle of commitment and consistency. Consistency is characteristic of a lot of strengths. You say what you believe and you do what you say. You don't come off as irresolute or wishy-washy or confused. The downside is if you've made a commitment, then you want to stay with it because of that initial action. Even when the circumstances no longer warrant that choice. I am curious how the principle of commitment and consistency plays out in geopolitics. If you were called in to help the U.S. refine its position in regard to China or Iran or one of its other rivals, what would you advise? I'll give you a couple of examples. The former Egyptian president, Anwar Sadat, was a master negotiator, even under circumstances where he was objectively at a disadvantage. For example, when he was having to negotiate with Israel after the Six-Day War in which Israel was superior, what Sadat would do is give his opponent a reputation to live up to. He would say to the Israelis, I'm so glad that we're able to negotiate on this and that you are my bargaining partner because everybody knows how important equanimity and fairness is to the Jewish community. And they would then behave that way. This happened to me, by the way, when a previous book that I wrote called Presuasion, the first 5,000 copies of the book were printed poorly. The pagination was wrong. My editor told me what happened, and he said, I hate when something like this happens to good guys like you. And you know what I heard myself say, Stephen? It's okay. It's okay. You know, it happens to everybody. I became the good guy. My newspaper carrier goes by my door every morning in his car and he throws the morning newspaper. And 75% of the time, he gets it in the center of the driveway. And every year, he includes a little envelope around Christmas time. I'm supposed to put a check in there as a tip, which I always do. But this year, after I read the, the research, I put a little note in the envelope. Thank you for being so conscientious in getting my newspaper in the center of the driveway so it doesn't get wet from the watering systems on either side. And did that improve his aim? Stephen, 100%. And here now from the book Influence is one more example of the power of commitment and consistency. In one study, when six or 12 person experimental juries were deciding on a close case, hung juries were significantly more frequent if the jurors had to express their opinions with a visible show of hands rather than by secret ballot. Once jurors had stated their initial views publicly, they were reluctant to allow themselves to change publicly. Should you ever find yourself the foreperson of a jury under these conditions, you could reduce the risk of a hung jury 
by choosing a secret rather than public balloting method. I think the last part is super subtle and underappreciated. It's essentially a negative application of the consistency principle. Essentially, sometimes people being consistent with stuff they've said actually causes problems for you. So what you want to do is to disengage the consistency principle because it's too strong. And what you really should do is give them a way out,、uh, essentially by allowing them to change their minds without losing faith. So that's an important principle, and I think something I'll be trying to do going forward. So that ends our exploration of the six principles of Cialdini's book. They're pretty well known at this point. Tomorrow we'll cover the new principle, unity.